Indeed, all praise is due to Allah, and as such, we should praise Him and thank Him, seek refuge in Him from the evil which is within ourselves and the evil which results from our deeds. For whomsoever Allah has guided, none can misguide, and whomsoever Allah has allowed to go astray, none can guide. And I bear, and I bear witness that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah, and that Muhammad wasallam is the last messenger of Allah. <clears throat> And the topic, as was announced for this evening, is about the Dajjal, the Antichrist. And one may wonder, uh, what is the significance of the Dajjal, or talking about the Dajjal, when the Muslim world is in a state of crisis, uh, Muslims are losing their lives in different parts of the world today, uh, the, the whole of the non-Muslim world has come together to try to destroy the last remnants of Islam in the Muslim world. So why talk about Dajjal? Well, <clears throat> first and foremost, we have to remember that Prophet Muhammad had said in an authentic hadith found in Ibn Majah, ما بين خلق آدم إلى قيام الساعة أمر أو خلق أكبر من الدجال. There is no trial from the time of Adam's creation until the last hour greater than a dajjal. No matter how bad or how difficult times may seem to us, there is a time to come which will be far greater than anything we can imagine. The Prophet ﷺ warned us of it. And he informed us in doing that, that he was following in the traditions of the Prophets before him. And he said in a hadith which can be found in Sahih Muslim, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ لم يبعث نبيا إلا حذر أمته من الدجال. Indeed, Allah most great and glorious did not send any prophet without having them warn their people about the coming of a dajjal. And since Prophet Muhammad وسلم, was to be the last of the prophets of God. There was no prophet to come after him. Then his responsibility in terms of informing us about Dajjal was that much greater. So when one looks, for example, in the literature, which Christians today hold or they have, we find that the reference there, <coughs> the references there are few. You will find in the Gospel of, uh, of John, what is called the Gospel of John, and in some of the other writings like Thessalonians, some references to the Antichrist. However, when you read these writings, you find something which is very vague, unclear, so vague that Christian theologians over the centuries have used the Antichrist as a symbol of resistance, for example, to the church. Martin Luther 
who led the revolt against Catholicism, uh, named the, the Pope at the time as being the head of the Antichrist and the uh, body of uh, Roman Catholicism as being the body of that Antichrist. So, and following that, you found a variety of other uh, leading church figures when talking about times to come, uh, referring, using the term Antichrist as a means of labeling their enemies. So, the image or concept of the Antichrist in Christianity is quite, dis- is quite distorted. It's not very clear. And if you go even further back into Jude- Judaism, into their writings, you find in Daniel's uh, writings in reference to a figure who would come in the, in the future, uh, identified as some kind of a ruler or king uh, who would create certain havoc in the earth, etc., and who would eventually be defeated. Uh, this has been identified as the early writings with regards to the Antichrist. However, as I said, when you go and you read what it says in Daniel's about that figure, I mean, it sounds like somebody's hallucination. You know, it talks about a beast with so many horns, and on each horn there are little mouths, and you know, really crazy stuff, like somebody had just a bad dream and they wrote about it. <clears throat> so, when you try to look at pre-Islamic literature on the Antichrist, you find very little clarity. However, when one comes into the realm of Islamic teachings, one finds clarity so detailed that we cannot have any doubt. Any Muslim who knows the information cannot have any doubt as to who the Antichrist is. And the Prophet Muhammad as our brother mentioned, used to teach his companions at the end of every prayer to seek refuge in the trials of Ad-Dajjal. And he stressed it. And the companion said, إِنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ كَانَ يُعَلِّمُهُمْ هَذَا الدُّعَى كَمَا يُعَلِّمُهُمُ السُّورَةِ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ that the Prophet ﷺ used to teach them that dua, this supplication, seeking refuge from the trials of Satan, the way he used to teach a chapter from the Qur'an. The same way he used to help them to memorize chapters from the Qur'an, he used to teach this dua. And because of that, a number of the followers considered it to be something compulsory, that salah, was incomplete without it. And for example, one of the students of Ibn Abbas, Tawus, he on one occasion <clears throat> had asked his son, after he had finished prayers, whether he had sought refuge uh, in Allah from the trial of Satan. And when his son said he hadn't, he told him to go and make his salah over again and do it. That's the kind of stress that they placed on it. And Prophet Muhammad had told us, that times would come when there would be many false uh, prophets. And these false prophets should not be mixed up with the concept of the Antichrist at Dajjal. Prophet ﷺ had said, لا يخرج الدجال حتى يذهل الناس عن ذكره وحتى تترك الأئمة ذكره على المنابر. That the Antichrist would not appear 
until a time comes when the imams would stop mentioning about him during their khutbahs in the masjids. When you go to the masjid for one year and you don't hear anybody saying anything about Dajjal, these are among the signs that his time is near. And as I said, we shouldn't mix Dajjal up with the false prophets that have shown up, whether in America like uh, Elijah Muhammad, or in India, Pakistan like Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. No, these are not the Dajjal. Prophet ﷺ had said, لا تقوم الساعة حتى يبعث دجالون كذابون قريب من ثلاثين كلهم يزعم أنه رسول الله. The hour will not arrive until about 30 lying Dajjals will appear, each claiming that he is a messenger of Allah. Okay, these, we term Dajjal is used for them also. But these we call them just false prophets or liars. Right? Like Musaylama, Al-Kadhab. These were the false prophets. But Dajjal, he is going to be coming with another claim altogether, which is far beyond that of these false prophets. And he will have with him powers which will lead people ignorant of him to belief in him. Now, the term Dajjal, it comes from an Arabic verb, Dajjala, which basically means to cover something. And it's even used to refer to somebody who is a gilder or silver, a person who plates something with gold, gold plating or silver plating. The term Dajjal is used to refer to such a person. But the usage, the common usage that the Prophet ﷺ uh, used where he meant or he indicated somebody who was what we refer to as being a liar. This comes from another usage of the term Dajjala, which means to smear a camel with tar. And it was, the tar would be placed over the mangy areas of the camel. The camel had some kind of scabies or disease kind of things. They would rub tar on it so when they're selling it, it wouldn't be obvious. Right? So it, it, this was a form of deception. So this is where the term Dajjal becoming the deceiver uh, developed. And when Prophet ﷺ described him, as I said, he didn't leave any details out. He described him to a T. He said that he would be blind in the right eye. And that it would be like a floating grape, unstable twitching in, his, in the socket. And that the left eye would also be defective. But he, was, he sees through this eye. And it would have a thick film, something like that of a fingernail, over it. And at the same time, it would be green like glass. He referred to it as being like glass because glass made in uh, early times tended to be, be green because of the the chemicals which were used in the making of the glass. <clears throat> As you said, the Dajjal, Ainuhu Khadra Kazujaj. The Dajjal's eye will be green like glass. And his complexion will be ruddy white. Ruddy white meaning that he is white with redness in his 
complexion. These are all descriptions found in Sahih Bukhari, Muslim, etc. His forehead will be prominent and his neck will be wide. Right? His forehead prominent, meaning that it's protruding, it's large and it's protruding forward. And his neck would be wide. You know, something like uh, Mike Tyson, you know, he's got a neck that just seems to connect with his head, right? I'm not saying that Mike Tyson is dead jail now, so please don't go and quote me on that. Huh? Anyway, the point is that he will, he'll be very powerfully built. I mean, this is actually people who are you know, heavily built. He will be described in that way, very powerful built. And his back, because of how, how many muscles, the muscles that he has, his back will tend to be curved. You know, almost like a hunchback, right? Because of the bigness. You see, people do a lot of weightlifting and that when they, they start to walk around, they start to walk around like this, you know? So he will be uh, like that. And his feet will be wide set apart. He will walk, you know? Not normally people, their feet, you know, turn inwards like this. Well, his will be walking wide set apart. And his hair, he'll have a lot of hair on his head. It will be in curls or locks. And they would be, as the Prophet ﷺ described, like small-headed snakes coiled together. And he will be sterile. He will not have any children. And according to the Prophet ﷺ, he most resembles Abdul Uzza ibn Qattan, or Qatan, ibn Qatan, from the Mustalaq tribe of Khuza'a, who died in pre-Islamic times. So he is described here as looking particularly like a person, a person who was known which means we rule out all the other interpretations where he is, you know, the television. You know, you have some people say, you know, he's got one eye, it's like the television, it's just one big eye looking at you, so it's the television. Or some people say, well, no, it's Western civilization, you know, because when it says that he is blind in one eye, that's his, his spiritual eye, is blind, he's a materialist. So they say material civilization. You know, a variety of other explanations uh, of the Dajjal, but... The Prophet's description clearly indicates to us that he is a human being. Furthermore, Prophet said that there would be written between his two eyes on his forehead the term kafara, which would be visible to both the literate, literate believers as well as illiterate believers. Some people have taken that to indicate that it doesn't mean literally the uh, word or the letters are written there, but that he would be recognizable. Well, no. The Prophet ﷺ said it's written there. So we don't try to give some other explanation. Uh, why an illiterate person would be able to read it, we know illiterate people in dealing in societies where there are a lot of signs, etc., after they've seen a sign enough times and it's been identified for them, they are able to identify reading the sign as a group you know, even though they can't read if you give them a book to read. So, we don't have to go to uh, unnecessary interpretations when uh, the reality uh, suits itself. Now, in terms of the powers, because why is it that the Prophet ﷺ said that a Dajjal would be the greatest trial faced by the Ummah, faced by the world, something far greater than anything that we have ever experienced before? Well, First and foremost, he will appear at a time of drought and starvation worldwide. And the Prophet ﷺ said, in that time, he will command, Allah will command the sky to withhold first one third of its water. And the land 
to withhold one-third of its produce. Then the following year it will be two-thirds. Rain will decrease by two-thirds. And produce on the earth will decrease by two-thirds. And in the third year it will not rain at all. And the crops will not grow throughout the earth. And when starvation reaches uh, this, this level, then Dajjal will appear. And when he comes, he will call people to believe in him, to believe in him as God. This is his claim. His claim is that he, in fact, is God. And he'll call people to worship him. And for those who accept him, and there will be signs which a person who is unaware of Dajjal, who is unaware of the teachings, will be fooled because he will do things which will give them the impression that this may actually be God. He will, for those people who lean towards him, who accept what he's saying, he will command the sky to rain and it will rain. And he will command the earth to bear fruit and it will bear fruit. For those who refuse him, reject him, he will pass by their areas and in the morning whatever stocks of food, etc. that they had, they will find it destroyed. So their situation will go from bad to worse. And he will carry with him what appears like a mountain of bread and meat. And of course, it's a time of starvation. Again, this is, this is what makes the trial that much greater. He will also have with him what appears to be a garden from paradise and flaming pits from hell with rivers flowing from both of them. They will follow him. And the rivers will appear, the one from paradise, white and cool, whereas the one which appears to be flowing from hell, which seems to follow him like liquid fire. And the treasures of the earth, wherever he goes, he passes in a region. Whatever treasures are in the earth will come out and follow him like a swarm of bees. And he'll be able to move through the earth like wind-driven rain. He will rapidly go from one region of the earth to the other, from one city to the other. He'll go through all the cities, towns across the earth, with the exception of Mecca and Medina. And he will camp outside of Medina. And when he camps outside it, there will be three earthquakes. And following that, with Medina shaking, those hypocrites and disbelievers who will be in Medina will come out and join him. And among the trials that he will do is he will call on people in different areas. He will call on them and ask them, if I bring to life your parents, will you believe in me that I am your God, your God and your Lord? And of course, people in their ignorance, believing that it's God alone who can resurrect, which is true, but that it may appear, resurrection may appear to them when it is in fact not resurrection, they're not aware of that. Not aware of the powers of the jinn, powers of evil that do exist in the world. What will happen at that point is that two jinns will appear 
in the form of that person's father and mother, his dead parents. They will appear before him. And those two jinns will say to the person, Oh my dear son or my little daughter, follow him because he is your Lord. And this will be a massive trial. And they will follow him. He will appear to give life to the dead because he will cut people in half and command those halves to come back together and they will come back together and the person will come running before him, smiling, praising him. However, a young believer will confront him, will challenge him and call him the Antichrist. And Dajjal will have him cut into pieces cut into two halves, walk between the two halves and then command it to come back together and it will come back together. And then he will ask him, do you believe now that I am your Lord? And he will say, I am now even more certain that you are the false Christ. And the Jow will grab him by the, the neck and he will try to cut off his head. He will be unable. So Allah will put a shield there, a protective shield which will not allow him to cut off the head. So he will hold him by the scruff of his neck and by his feet and throw him into that river of fire that's following him. And people will see him fall in and be consumed, burnt up. They will think he is destroyed. But the Prophet ﷺ said that he will be falling into paradise and that he is the greatest of the martyrs. He said, هَذَا أَعْظَمُ النَّاسِ شَهَادَةً عِنْدَ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ this young man is the greatest martyr in the sight of the Lord of the worlds. Now, where will Dajjal appear? He will first appear in the east. Prophet ﷺ stated, as quoted by Abu Bakr, the Dajjal will appear from a land in the east called Khurasan and will be accompanied by people whose faces look like flat beaten iron. However, he will run into conflict with Muslims, Muslim forces between Syria and Iraq. Abu Umama quoted Prophet ﷺ as saying he will appear from a pass between Syria and Iraq and create havoc from left and right. This is where the confrontation with Muslim forces begins. And his followers will include many Jews. Uh, the Anas ibn Malik related to the Prophet ﷺ said some 70,000 Jews from Asfahan wearing shawls will follow the Dajjal. And actually when you go back into Christian literature, some of it does make reference to the followers of uh, the Antichrist as being from among the Jews. But uh, as I said before, they do generalize and say that anybody who denies uh, the divinity of Jesus becomes an Antichrist. So even Muslims during the times of the Crusades you know, when they were trying to rouse up support to attack Muslim lands, Palestine, etc., you know, they did use this, this phrase that the Muslims were the Antichrist. Anyway, his reign, he will rule on the earth some 40 days. The first day will be as long as one year, and the second as long as a month, and the third as long as a week, and the rest of the days will be like regular days. The companions, when the Prophet ﷺ related that to him, to them, they asked him, 
What should we do in terms of our prayer on that first day? Will five prayers suffice? A day, which will be like a year. And the Prophet ﷺ had said, no. You must estimate the times of prayer and pray accordingly. And it's on the basis of this statement that the Prophet ﷺ made with regards to the coming of Dajjal that the scholars, you know, give uh, rulings concerning those people who live in regions where you have six months of daylight and six months of night, you know, or circumstances where there may not be any uh, night or the night becomes so small it's virtually non-existent, that in those places they estimate, they calculate the times. We have things like the Asr watch, and I'm not the salesman for Asr watch, but, you know, Asr watch, you can, no matter where you go on the main cities on the earth, you can press it and it'll tell you what are your times for prayer in your area that you will be able to estimate it wherever you are. Anyway, in terms of the end of the Antichrist, Dajjal, he will appear after the Mahdi appears. The Mahdi who will lead Muslim forces in a major battle with the forces of falsehood in the earth and establish a rule of Allah on the earth for a period, but in the course of his establishment of that rule, the Antichrist will appear. And his forces will uh, defeat the Muslim forces left and right, until Muslims become, uh, the main Muslim forces become besieged in Jerusalem. And there, in Fajr prayer, after Prophet Isa returns, because he will return in Damascus at this point, and he will go to Jerusalem and join that prayer. And when the Mahdi standing in the front sees him come, he will ask him to come forward and lead the prayer. But Jesus will push that the, the Mahdi forward and have him lead the prayer as he was already designated. And when the prayer ends... The, the forces of Dajjal will be on the gates of Jerusalem. The gates will uh, break open. The forces will come through. And at this point, the Dajjal will spot Prophet Jesus. And when he spots him, Prophet said it will begin to dissolve. Like the way salt does when water drops on it. And he will start to run. And the Prophet ﷺ said that if he had been left, he would just have dissolved completely. But Prophet Isa will run after him, catch him. And he will kill him and raise the, his uh, spear, which is used to kill him in his hand, to show the people that in fact the Jal has been killed. And a massive battle will ensue in which all of the forces that were supporting Dajjal will be defeated across the earth, and Prophet Isa will reestablish the rule of Allah over the earth. Now, how do we defend ourselves against Dajjal? And before actually looking at our defense, I should mention that there are some narrations which indicated that there were individuals in the time of Prophet Muhammad who were mistakenly thought to have been 
Dajjal. There was an individual by the name of Ibn Sayyad, whom Prophet ﷺ on one occasion, because he had heard things being said about him, he was involved in doing certain prophecies though, he was quite young, and the Prophet ﷺ suspected that perhaps he might be a Dajjal, so he went to see him. And he, he, he found him as a youth playing amongst other youths. And um, he walked up to him without him seeing him from behind and then touched him on the shoulder and said to him, Will you bear witness that I am the messenger of Allah? And Ibn Sayyad will say, I bear witness that you are a messenger to the Gentiles. And in fact, he will then turn to the Prophet ﷺ and say, Do you bear witness that I am a messenger of Allah? I mean, very arrogant. And the Prophet ﷺ will ask him, What do you see? Because he was reading people's minds and, and predicting things. What do you see? What does your messenger tell you? What is in my mind? And he will attempt to read the Prophet's mind. And he will say, Adukh, Adukh. But he can't go any farther than that. And the Prophet ﷺ said, enough. He was reflecting on Surah Ad-Dukhan. And he said, you will not go beyond your station. He realized at that point that this is not really Dajjal. But Ibn Umar, when he heard the Prophet ﷺ say that, said, shall I kill him? He was ready to just take his head off. And the Prophet ﷺ said, no. Because if he were Dajjal, you would not be able to kill him. And if he wasn't, there would be no good in you killing him. Because it would appear that Muhammad was killing innocent people. Now, one of the companions, there was a particular occasion, this Ibn Sayyad, though Prophet clarified that he really wasn't a Dajjal, the rumor had spread amongst the Muslims. And even after the time of Prophet ﷺ, some of them still thought that he was a Dajjal. And there's a narration in Sahih Muslim, narrated by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, in which he said, We set out to perform Hajj or Umrah, and Ibn Sayyad was with us. And when we camped, and the people dispersed, everybody else left, he found himself sitting there, and it was only him and Ibn Sayyad. And he said, I became worried. And Ibn Sayyad, when he saw it was just the two of them, he picked up his luggage and he brought it next to where uh, Abu Sa'id was sitting, you know, just to, because it's just the two of them. Abu Sa'id suggested him, I think it'd be better if you put your, you know, your luggage under that tree over there, right? You didn't want him to get too close. Then, Ibn Sayyad went and did it. And he then, uh, there was a goat there, and he got some goat's milk in a bowl. He drank some and he brought it and offered it to Abu Sa'id. Abu Sa'id said, no, 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 it's real hot, you know, drinking milk at this time. I don't think it would be good. But really, he said, really, I didn't because I didn't want to take anything from this man, right, you know. And uh, when Ibn Sayyad saw that, you know, what was happening, really, this was the suspicion. He said to him, listen, he came down, sat next to him and said, hey, you know, I was thinking at one point to buy a rope, tie it from a tree and hang myself because of what people say about me. You know, talking to him, 
You're from the Ansar. And you know what Prophet Muhammad said better than most other people. Isn't that true? Abu Sa'id said, yeah, it's true. And he said, you know that Prophet said that a Dajjal would be a disbeliever. And I'm a Muslim. Abu Sa'id said, that's true. That's true. And he said that Dajjal would not have any children. He would be barren. And I have two children in Medina. Abu Sa'id said, yeah, that's true too. And he went on to say that Prophet said that Dajjal would not be able to enter Mecca and Medina. And I was born in Medina. And we're going to Mecca. Abu Sa'id said, really, what can I say after all of that, right? And then he went on to say, I know where he is right now. Usaid looked at him and said, May you suffer loss for the rest of your days. He just put a big doubt back in his mind again. You know, for him to know exactly where you know the Jal was. But the point is that, as I said, he was known by the majority of the companions not to have been Dajjal. And Jabir ibn Abdullah had reported that he went missing when the Syrian army attacked Medina in the 63rd year after the Hijra. And his, although his body was never found, he was, people had witnessed that he had been killed. So we know that he wasn't Dajjal. However, Prophet Muhammad did narrate to us a story which came to him from one of his companions, Tamim al-Dari, who was a former Christian who had accepted Islam and had been uh, with a ship in the, um, in the area of uh, the, the um, south of India, off from Sri Lanka in that region. And he related, he had come and related to the Prophet ﷺ that his uh, ship had been caught up in a storm and they ended up at an, uh, in, on an island. And when he went into the island, he had come across this individual who was covered in hair. He could hardly make out what was his front from his back. And he asked him, and they asked him, who, who was he? And he said he is a jassasa, which means like the spy. And they were trying to get more information about this weird looking individual. And he said, listen, there's somebody waiting for you in this cave over there. So they went to see who this was. And he said he found there a person more powerfully built than anybody had ever seen. He was chained up. And they started to ask him questions, but he stopped them. And then he asked them questions about what was happening in Arabia and in Palestine. Whether there was still water in the Sea of Galilee. you know, And descriptions which uh, indicated that he was aware of what was happening there. And then he asked them also about... The, the, whether a prophet had, had uh, come from Yathrib, which is the old name of Medina. And then after he got all this information, then he told them, he said, I am the Messiah, the Messiah. He claims initially that he is the Messiah. You know, and of course, according to Christian belief, the, the Messiah, Jesus, was God. And he said, I will soon be permitted to go forth. So I will set out and travel across the earth. Within 40 nights, I will visit every town in the world except for Mecca and Medina. And 
That indicates to us that the Dajjal was alive from the time of the Prophet Muhammad Because Prophet Muhammad accepted this narration uh, given to him by Tamim al-Dari and related it to his companions as truth. Now, some of us may want to question how in the world could somebody be living, you know, from that time till now. Right? But we believe that Prophet Nuh lived for how long? A thousand years or more. We believe that people of the past did live for extended periods of time. Could be individuals, could be groups of people. So if we can accept that this is from the will of Allah, then we shouldn't have a problem accepting that the Dajjal is still around, around from that period of time. Now, we'll go back to what to do in defense against Dajjal. First and foremost, we have to cling firmly to Islam. Because those people who will fall into his trap will be people whose Islam is shaky. As he said, Prophet ﷺ had said that he would come to Medina. I mean to the outskirts of Medina. And when Medina is shook by these earthquakes, the hypocrites, the disbelievers, people who have Muslim names, because obviously in Medina the people are not going to have non-Muslim names because non-Muslims are banned from Medina. But the Prophet ﷺ referred to them as hypocrites and disbelievers. They will come out. Their names will be Ahmed, Fatima, and all these names. They will come out and join up with a Dajjal. Meaning obviously that their faith was virtually non-existent. They were Muslims in name, but not Muslims in their hearts. So, it is very, the, the first line of defense is to be, of course, sincere and to be true to one's Islam. And we should know what descriptions the Prophet ﷺ has given us about the Jal. And we should teach it to our children. You know, in the homes, I mean, how many of you have grown up in your homes and said that, hey, my parents told me about Dajjal. No, you grew up in the homes, you knew about Superman, you knew about, you know, Pokemon, and all these other foolishnesses, but do you, do you know about Dajjal? No. This is a major failure. As parents, it is the responsibility to teach their children about Dajjal. Secondly, we should... Try to memorize the first ten or the last ten verses of Surah Al-Kahf. Prophet Muhammad had said in an authentic hadith found in Sahih Muslim, "Man hafidha ashra ayatin min awwali surat al-Kahf, usima min al-Dajjal." Anyone who memorizes the first ten verses of Surah Al-Kahf will be protected from al-Dajjal. Of course, this memorization is not parrot memorization, where a person learns to recite the words and have no idea what it says. Now please, don't think that this is what this means, because, you know, one could say, well, maybe I don't even need to memorize it, I can just keep a tape recorder, right? You know, have a tape recorder, these first ten verses, just carry it with me anytime the jaw comes, I take out my tape recorder, right? No, it doesn't work like that. Right? This is not something which we do in this ritualistic kind of form that the Quran in its recitation is like, you know, magic. You know, you have this magic wand of the magicians, etc., that we carry it around with us. We just got to bring it out, turn it on, and you know, defeat the enemy type of thing, right? No. It is about reciting it 
based on belief. What the first ten verses of Surah Al-Kahf address. We should reflect on the meanings that are there, which address, you know, issues of, of sincerity of belief. You know, talking about the people of the, the, the companions of the cave and the trials that they went through and how they were firm in their belief. This is what we should reflect on when we recite these verses. And of course, we are encouraged to recite Surah Al-Kahf every Jummah. Thirdly, or we should use that dua which the Prophet ﷺ taught us, which he taught us like a chapter from the Quran. Each and every one of us is no excuse, no reason why that should not be a part of our daily prayers. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min adhabi jahannam wa adhabi al-qabr wa min fitnati al-mahiyya wa al-mamat wa min sharri fitnati al-masih al-dajjal. We should know it, and we should use it, and we should reflect on it. Seeking refuge in Allah from the trials of this world, of this living and dying, of the trials of the grave, which we will face, and from the major trial of the false Christ. Furthermore, we should be frequent in our remembrance of Allah. We should be frequent in our remembrance of Allah, and we should know who Allah is. In that Prophet ﷺ said, Dajjal will be blind one eye and you will not see your Lord in this world, in this life. So you should not be under any kind of delusion. If your concepts, your understanding of Allah are clear and true, you cannot be deluded that this person could be God. Because as the Prophet ﷺ said, you will not see Allah in this life. So anybody who comes, no matter what he does, he appears to bring people to life. He brings your parents back. He caused the, the, the sky to rain, the earth to bear fruit. This is not Allah. He's doing things that we normally attribute to Allah, by the will of Allah, but this is not Allah. So it is important for us to know who Allah is, and that we remember Him. Dhikrullah. That this should be on our tongues all the time. Remembering Allah. Not remembering Him again in the ritualistic fashion, which unfortunately we do at the end of our prayers, you know, where we sit there and we do what Prophet ﷺ said to do, mentioning Subhanallah 33 times, Alhamdulillah 33 times, Allahu Akbar 33 or 34 times, depending on the narration. But the way that we do it, some people who accepted Islam and first came into the mosque, learned how to pray, and they observed Muslims after prayer, they came back to me and they asked me, what is it that Muslims are doing after the prayer? We see that the prayer is over and their hands seem to be shaking like they have some kind of, you know, uh, you know, cerebral palsy or something, you know, some kind of Hodgkin's or Parkinson's, their hands are shaking like this. What are they doing? I, I explained to them, actually they're saying, subhanallah, Subhanallah, 33 times. But people are saying it, how? So they're doing like this, and their hands are moving like this, like they're, you know. This is not, this is not remembrance of Allah. Let us not fool ourselves. This is not remembrance of Allah. Better we say, Subhanallah, one time. 
Alhamdulillah one time. Allahu Akbar one time reflecting on its meaning than to go through that, you know, chattering of our lips and our tongues with, without any meaning at all. It is an affront to Allah. It is a disgrace. We need to reestablish the remembrance of Allah in our lives according to the way of Rasulullah wasallam. And this includes all of the various du'as which he gave us in the morning, in the evening, you know, when we leave our homes, when we enter our homes. Uh, for all of the various occasions, he has given us various supplications which help us to remember him. Fifthly, we should flee from him. Though I describe a young man who would challenge Dajjal, and the Prophet ﷺ referred to him as the greatest of the martyrs in the sight of Allah. This doesn't mean that when you hear Dajjal is over in such and such a place, you're going to go take him on. No. 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 We should flee from him. When the trial of Dajjal comes, you hear he's in one town, flee. If you can get to Mecca or Medina, try to get there. Or whatever, wherever you hear he is, try not to be there. Prophet ﷺ said in an authentic hadith, which are found in the Sunan, in Sunan Abi Dawood, whoever hears about Dajjal should go far away from, from him. By Allah, a man will come to him believing that he is himself a true believer and end up following him due to the doubts which he created in him. This is the point. Don't think that we are strong. We can stand before Dajjal. No. Prophet's advice is get as far away from him as possible. So, this is a reminder to you. And it is your duty to pass that reminder on. That people get the correct information about Dajjal. That we're not fooled that he is the American Bill. You know, with that pyramid with the big eye there. People say, oh, that's Dajjal. He's America. You know. Or we don't get fooled that, you know, he is, uh, uh, he and his forces will be the United Nations because there's some inauthentic narrations which say that the followers of Dajjal will have blue caps. They say, hey, there's the United Nations. Dajjal, no. We know, we should know the truth about Dajjal, who he is, what he represents, and be prepared for him. In our preparation for dealing with Dajjal, we are preparing to deal with the trials of this life in general. Because the preparation is not unique and special, that it has no relevance to the other trials that we face in this life. So, with that, my brothers and sisters, you know, I'd just like to close this brief presentation on Dajjal. It is my duty to have conveyed this message to you, and it is your duty for those of you who have heard and understood to convey it to others, to your children, if and when you have children, to your parents, if they're ignorant, and to all those that you can, but as I said, you convey it in a sensible fashion, not with your own personal interpretations, you know, turning Dajjal into what he is not. So we give you a chance at this point to ask any questions you'd like to ask. And, of course, we'd like to keep the questions related to the topic. 
You know? Because I know there's a common practice in um, some of the universities here that, you know, you can come and talk about anything. Right? And as soon as you finish talking about it, somebody jumps up and asks you, well, how do we establish the Khilafah? Hey, you know, we can have a talk about establishing the Khilafah, and that's a talk, and that's the place for that question. You know? But otherwise, let's try to keep the questions, you know, reasonable. It's not about, you know, I'm going to try to push my ideas and my thoughts down your, everybody's throat. We are, everybody needs to hear about this. Oh, inshallah, we have heard about it, and inshallah, we do support the struggle to reestablish the Khilafah. And, this is just an example, I'm just saying, there are other, uh, ideas out there that people get very excited about and they feel that they must have everybody hear these ideas and everybody must agree with them and must follow these ideas etc 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 